2: welcome back to the celtics lab podcast i'm your host Cameron tough divide joined as always by alex goldberg and dr justin quinn this week we are joined by sports illustrated's rohan nadkarni to discuss what might be in store for the celtics moving forward rohan how are you
3: I'm great. Thank you, guys, so much for having me on. I
2: really appreciate it. Yeah, the pleasures all ours, certainly. Justin, Alex, how are we? Can't complain.
4: Uh, Just coming off a couple of successful shows, one of which you graced your us with your presence at camp. Thanks for being there. Uh, Yeah, wrapping up the semester. Got about three days left before winter break. I'm feeling good. Sorting through the detritus of what's a
5: trade rumor, what's some speculation and uh, all that fun stuff with this week being upon us has been uh, interesting. It will help me earn a living so I can't complain too much, but sometimes it's just not very fun.
2: Cool. Um, I'm pretty distracted by the succession season finale. Uh, so I haven't really thought about what lies ahead for the NBA season, but Rohan, that's kind of why you're here, I guess. Uh in fact, you're going to help us decide if big moves are on the horizon for the Celtics. But first, we're going to jump to the news. And of course, that means talking about last night's big win over Milwaukee. The Celtics, after a 1-5 West Coast swing, hosted the Bucs in Boston. And Alex, give us a recap.
4: Great game from start to finish. It was really compelling. Um, the Celtics were down after the first quarter, but... With Jalen Brown back on the court, and of course, he took a scary collision where he bumped his knee with Bobby Portis, Um, but with Jalen Brown back on the court, you could tell that this team had a different kind of swagger about them. The ball was really moving a lot better around the perimeter. Uh, People were kind of getting a little bit more aggressive, taking the ball to the basket. I guess probably had something to do with Brooke Lopez being out as well, but, uh, you know, Additionally, I think the offense the offense looked a lot better, and the defense looked unafraid of Giannis throughout the entire night, which I thought was really impressive. You know, at one point, Grant Williams uh, got a little chippy with Bobby Portis, which I think the team actually fed off of in a positive way it was just overall a wire to wire, really good win. And, you know, you have to talk about the kind of main event, which is Jason Tatum having a spectacular game. I think he had 42, seven and four just an all around dominant performance against one of the best defensive teams in the league and against one of the best and maybe the best player in the league and Giannis um, it was a really great win. And it's one of those wins where you see the potential of this team when everybody is on the floor and when everybody is kind of on the same page. Tatum and Brown are just such a compelling duo when they're at their best. And last night was a perfect example of it. Um, with the Celtics team, it's always up and down. You never really know what you're going to get on a night to night basis. But it's clear that, you know, their ceiling when they are all rolling, when everything is going right this team is a real force. It's just about trying to piece that together on a more consistent basis.
5: Yeah, it's the inconsistent basis that has me very skeptical. I do think that there's some good takeaways from this game, but I need to see more.
2: Yeah, Rohan, you have um, unbiased eyes. I suspect, You <laughs> think Alex is right with his optimism or to reflect on the fact that Chris Middleton missed half the game?
3: No, I think that there are definitely reasons to be optimistic. I- i to be honest i expected to see more of this version of the celtics obviously inconsistency has been an issue but at the same time you're looking at a team that's got a new coach uh they're working in some guys whether it's Schroeder or josh richardson or al horford to an extent even rob Williams to an extent guys who are playing bigger roles or weren't on the team last year uh all of that with the new head coach i i think it's normal for it to take time uh, And I know it's so easy to get caught up in kind of how the season has started and kind of draw conclusions. Obviously, that's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we had a team last year like, let's say, the Hawks. I don't think at this point in the season anyone expected the Hawks to make a conference final. So I do think there are reasons to be optimistic for the Celtics. I I think last night showed what they can be when they're at full strength and and clicking on all cylinders. I I think they're as – you know, I think the Bucs and Nets are probably in their own tier, but I think after those two teams, the Celtics at their best can be as good as anybody in the East.
2: I'm so happy we invited you on. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it's worth pointing out the Celtics are two and one now against the Bucs and Nets of the season. So uh, going into the Bucs game, probably no one was feeling as optimistic about the Celtics, although we knew that potential was there. Anchored by a really ugly trip out West. Justin, you want to not just recap the games i mean i think people know what happened but the mood and kind of the storylines that dominated well
5: i'm sure you guys have seen all the we need to split up jalen brown and jason tatum articles and we need to move marcus smart and we need to do this and we need to fire email Odoka, and we can talk about all of those ideas later but the vibes were fucked uh pardon my french but that's what they were it was it was a really bad scene uh To Rowan's point, I think that a lot of it was overreaction. And I've done a fair amount of trying to tamp down like, yes, big moves do need to happen for this team to be a title contender. Do they need to happen now? I'm not sure. Do do we need to trade one of the team's best players for someone to shake things up? I doubt it. Maybe at some point, but let's just get through the trade deadline first and see where we're at and see what they do. And see how they play because there is a much easier schedule coming up for Boston. And like we said, ahead of this really, really hard patch of games that we're currently starting on, like almost through, really. It's gonna be hard and the record's gonna be bad, but the way they were losing in some of those games were particularly disappointing.
2: Yeah, so I have a that begs an interesting question that wasn't really kind of on our radar. So Rohan and anyone who's unaware, Alex and I are high school teachers by by trade. So we'll kind of take a back seat here. But you and Justin are in the biz. And it occurs to me that storylines, and we don't need to name names here, but storylines like we need to break up the Jays or rival executives expect Boston to look to trade Jalen Brown feel as much about a product of how long the NBA regular season is as it is a product of actual intel or immediacy on the court. So Rohan. And you can kind of duck this question. I, again, no need to name names, but like how much of the rumor mill do you think is as much feeding the, the need for content? And where does the kind of like the Celtic storyline fit in that, if that makes sense?
3: No, I think that there's, there's definitely something to that, right? Um, there, someone is putting in that ask with the rival executive to kind of get their opinion. And I, I will say that I do think it's coming from somewhere. Sure. You know, I, I. it's tough. I mean, I, I honestly don't dig too deep into trade rumor stories and all that stuff because, frankly, like, just tell me when the trade happens, right? At, at the end of the day, you know, I, I'll know if a trade happens when I see so-and-so playing for a different team. The rumors interest me generally a little bit less. So it's not even something that I personally as someone who <laughs> – even though it's part of my job, it's something that I'm not necessarily looking into too deeply all the time because it doesn't—it doesn't really matter unless that person gets traded. In terms of the Jalen Brown stuff, that was always shocking to me. I mean, I know people who think there's no way they would ever get rid of him. I mean, he's such a success story, considering you know when they picked him. I don't think anybody expected him to be an All-Star level player. There were a lot of questions as to why they did it, if that was a good pick, etc he's kind of a, a feather in the cap for the organization, obviously the same for Tatum. So mm-hmm. to me, it should be all about how do we build around these two guys that frankly, any team in the league would want. So uh, the Brown rule is just in terms of team building. Like if you're building a, a great team in the modern NBA, the idea that you don't want two great perimeter players, both of whom can score, both of whom, both of whom can defend that just doesn't check out to me. Now, unless there is some kind of chemistry thing or personality thing that we are not attuned to or has not been reported, that could affect it. But I don't—I've never certainly never gotten the impression that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown don't like playing with each other. So uh, I do think there's an element of you know people are kind of asking around and, and maybe trying to find an answer that's interesting. At the same time, I—I I think that there's probably some kind of mild truth to what's going on there. I mean, maybe it's just sure. straight up frustration or disappointment that things haven't quicked as quickly as they hope. But I guess ultimately, if, you're, if we're getting to the heart of it, I, I'd be really surprised if the Celtics broke those two players up anytime soon unless it, it was something kind of massive or unforeseen that we haven't really considered yet.
4: Rohan I wonder how much of it too is also the kind of gamesmanship of NBA front offices. It seems to me that all of these front offices feature a bunch of guys who know each other, who have known each other for a long time and who have in the way that NBA players have a competitive relationship where they might be friendly with each other, you know, off the court, but as soon as they're on the court going against each other it's kind of like real serious level of competition. I kind of wonder how much of uh, these like trade everybody stories are also things that NBA front office execs kind of drop here and there just as a way to like needle another team or to just kind of poke at them. And it, it sounds a little silly, but the thing is so many people involved in this industry are wired in that same kind of competitive mindset you know I think about a guy like Daryl Morey who really it carries himself in a lot of ways like an NBA player he definitely has a kind of aggressive competitive mindset when it comes to trading and to building his roster and I feel like there might be a little element of that too do you have any thoughts on that
3: uh, I definitely think there is an element of, of gamesmanship that can occur I mean There are just so many, also people attached to a front office that may speak to a story, whether it's an assistant GM or, and they have a relationship with someone in the front office. From, you know, there's definitely an element of that. I I do think that there are some GMs that maybe draw more ire or attention or scrutiny from other GMs around the league. Obviously, you mentioned Daryl Morey. I think he's someone who is so front-facing that people have opinions of him, and those opinions obviously range. <laughs> um, the same obviously could be said about Sam Inky. I don't think that, he, you know, some people are just lightning rods. That's how it goes. So I do think that there's, like everything that is being reported, there is often an agenda, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're putting trust in, I mean, that's why we have trust in Certain reporters who are reporting certain things, um, because we're kind of counting on them to filter, you know, what's just the agenda here and what's actually valuable information. So I, I would definitely say that there's an there's an element of of that of of rivalry and gamesmanship that that trickles down into everything we do. But you know, ultimately for this for this trade stuff, I will say that it's so hard to also classify what's a rumor or what's, you know, the, the level to which something rises, a trade talk that who, there's no definition for what a trade talk is, right? Mm -hmm. If a team calls the Celtics and says, would you guys ever trade Jalen Brown? Does that mean they engage in trade talks? I mean, who knows? It's technically right. So it it could mean a lot of different things. Um, And I think it's, it's fair to say that there's, there's probably some, gamesmanship going around but uh that's when you just kind of have to take everything on a case by case basis who's reporting this what kind of stuff do they typically report et etc
5: i definitely agree i think that there is uh, also the fact that we have a very new general manager or president of basketball operations and brad stevens and you know one of the tools that's available to general managers of teams is the press and if we, if we were naive enough to really believe that they wouldn't be trying to use that to their advantage, I think that that would be silly. So I do think that there is some amount of gamesmanship involved. I don't know how much it actually affects things, though maybe it does get out of the player's skin, and maybe there's a hope that that kind of also helps grease the wheels for some kind of change.
2: Well, it's funny. I, I posed the question, but intellectually, I know, Rohan, to your point, I can see the Jalen report or the idea that Jalen would go to Memphis and think, Nope, not, not worth <laughs> my time. But then I see an aggregated report that maybe the Lakers would trade Westbrook and it's, and it's like, Oh yeah, they would do that. That's fine. So <laughs> let's um, let's assume moving forward, that these are good faith arguments, that these rumors have some merit to them um, and that will kind of anchor our thinking moving forward as we digest the kind of options for the C's for the rest of the season, I'm just going to breeze through the rest of the news really, really quick. And if anyone wants to chime in, uh, obviously feel free. So we should lead with COVID seems to be dominating NBA circles. Something that we've said before on this podcast is that NBA players get tested more often than the average public. So they probably present positive more often, but that's because still 40 something percent of COVID cases are asymptomatic, so this is our plea to continue to be safe and smart because we're so far from out of the woods and the NBA is, no pun intended, proof positive there. On the other side of the emotional spectrum, Isaiah Thomas signing with the G League, uh, with the Denver Nuggets affiliate, uh, joining Lance Stevenson, so that's amazing, and he will be part of that G League showcase. Bill Russell raised $5.1 million with his mentor, BC United, uh, a charity auction, right Justin?
5: Yeah, actually, yeah, that's uh, Boston Celtics United. That's the big social justice thing that they put together uh, during the the bubble, actually. So that's pretty cool.
2: I would hate for Boston College to get free press there. Thanks. And Brad was overseas scoping out Jan Madar, which could be exciting. I remember a time not too long ago where we thought he might be part of the Celtics rotation. Anything? Anyone want to react to that? Or should we hop into the Celtics lab?
5: I will say about the Madar business, uh, there's no roster spot for him now. But let's just say you cut a player with a partial guarantee. I won't say who, we can talk about that in a little bit. Uh, you might have an open spot. And let's just say you deal away a point guard. I won't say who you might need a point guard. Just saying.
2: I spent, uh, I wish I had thought of that. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> Rohan, you're here not to talk about Jan Madar, but instead to talk about what might happen to this Boston Celtics team. So we are going to hop into our Celtics lab portion of the programming. And before we kind of lay out the options we have, as you see it, Rohan, and I'll ask Alex and Justin as well, what is the biggest problem facing the Celtics team?
3: Everything is baked into the context in that the last five or six years or so, Boston, I think, really set themselves up to be in a great position to succeed. And it's not quite the same as the Sixers, but in many ways, both those teams had positioned themselves really well. And sometimes you just get unlucky. I mean, they obviously got really unlucky starting with the Gordon Hayward injury. They got unlucky with Kyrie wanting out because that was frankly a smart trade to make, even though as callous as it seemed at the time, uh, a smart trade to make. They got unlucky. He wanted out. They probably should have made the Gordon Hayward for Miles Turner trade if that really existed. It always shocked me that they didn't, frankly, for a lot of reasons that we don't have to get into. Because, again, we don't know how real that was. But even if it's just to not let him go for anything, but then they lose him for nothing. Uh, They they lost Al Horford for nothing at the time. Obviously, they were able to bring him back. But they just, you know, they've had some bad fortune when they've positioned themselves well. And to me, I, I think their biggest problem is I think they just need to find that one other, you know, blue chipper, close to all star level player that amplifies what they're doing. I, I told, I know you guys mentioned uh, uh, my podcast host, Michael Pina, who I uh, work with at Sports Illustrated. I, I told him before the season, and we've had discussions about this on our podcast, not on our podcast. It surprises me that this team isn't pushing its chips more towards the ta- center of the table only because they have two players who are so talented in Brown and Tatum. So I-, I guess my big picture thoughts are this is a team that should be contending for titles. They're fortunate that their two best players are obviously still very young. But if I'm them, I- I'm looking to amplify what we have because I-, I have two players who I think could very easily be the cornerstones of a great team.
4: Rohan, uh, you know, I think that's a really interesting point, but I do have to say, I think in some respects, you're giving the Celtics, Yeah, obviously they were unlucky and they, they had some bad breaks literally go their way or not go their way. But there are a couple of moves and choices that the Celtics made uh, over the past kind of few years that I think have ultimately compiled into s- something of a challenge for the Brad well, Stevens front office.
3: Well, yeah, let me just add in, I guess I should have mentioned, it would have helped if they'd hit on one of these picks, right? Uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, you you look at the uh, an organization like the Heat, for example, or even the Grizzlies. Like when they picked Desmond Bain, like no one was talking about Desmond Bain. Or <sighs> it just it hurts.
4: I just I knew <laughs> Desmond Bain was going to come up, and I,
3: honestly, sad. I didn't even know. Did the Celtics pass on him? I didn't even. Oh, they him. Oh, we drafted on him. him. <laughs> they passed on uh, him I, twice. I, truly, <laughs> not even was not even aware, but in the heat they get undrafted guys like Stroops or Caleb Martin or uh Gabe Vincent and, and the Celtics I think of strong I mean I think part of the issue and my colleague Chris Mannix has been pounding the table for this they need to probably play the young guys a bit more but I think a huge issue for them is not one of Pritchard Langford or Nismith has kind of popped I mean Rob Williams has turned out to be a fantastic pick and They just need more of that. They need more of the Rob Williams picks, which they had set themselves up to do, but they just didn't hit.
4: Yeah. And I think part, I think those issues are related to kind of why it's been so challenging for the Celtics to acquire that third star, particularly after, you know, Hayward left for nothing. Kyrie left for nothing. Horford left for nothing. And you had to actually pay a little premium to get him back. A big part of this is that, when those young guys don't hit, when they don't become blue chip prospects, it becomes really hard to build tr- appealing trade packages for star players. Now, you know, we'll see, obviously Rob Williams did hit. He's, he's become a pretty critical piece for this team to the point where he might actually not be somebody that Celtics can really afford to trade. Uh, similarly, Grant Williams is developing. He's coming along nicely. That might be another area to look there. But I think those two problems are kind of related where the Celtics draft misses are starting to catch up with them, not just in terms of like who they have in their rotation and who they're able to play, but also uh, in terms of the kind of capital that they're able to throw around in terms of acquiring a star player via trade.
5: I don't disagree, and I think you actually kind of summed up something that I have I probably annoyed Cam uh, a lot with over the last year or so. Basically just complaining about how Danny Ainge has always been behind the eight ball because he keeps being overly conservative, hoping that the luck is going to break his way, and all of those, the, like, my, my, my biggest thing is once you have the talent on the roster, you don't let it off the roster unless you have a way to secure like an extension for example and I think that that part of what has happened is just been this big pile up of not doing these things having a cascading effect that have brought us to this point which brings me to what is going on with Ime Adoka? why is he not playing these players more and what is it going to mean for the future Cam?
2: Yeah and I've said this before it's my Probably my answer to this question is I think that uh, the, the roster is a little too dynamic and there needs to be a little consolidation because I don't, I, I don't know what players' roles are. I'm sure they don't know really what their roles are. A lot of the feedback after the Bucs game was that Udoka sat them down and had this intense film session, and that seemed to be really helpful. I think it would be helpful if the rotation was closer to eight or nine guys as opposed to trying to showcase your entire bench either for trades or to see what fits. So I'm—I've said this before. I'm looking for an addition by subtraction kind of move to shore things up on the back end. But that—that that would be a good segue. But I want to do a little brass tax, no pun intended. So Justin, can you just—we'll uh, get more into this with the Schroeder stuff, but you just give us an overview of the tax situation for the Celtics because I do think we can daydream about small moves and big moves, but it's important to be grounded in kind of what is possible.
5: Yeah, so they have basically a decision tree on whether or not they think that this team is worth being a taxpaying team. Uh, if you listen to the newest Open Floor podcast, they have a discussion on this as well with Rohan and Michael Pina. Uh, and it's very true across the league. There are a lot of teams that think they might, might be able to go pretty deep, if not all the way. This season, things are as shaky as they, you know been for the title picture in quite a while. I mean, even even with the bubble, it seemed a little bit more likely that we were gonna have uh, some of the teams in the end of the the, uh, playoffs where they were. But now we have a bunch of teams that are either gonna be looking to sell sell or buy and try to sneak under the tax if they can, There is a scenario where the Celtics might not sneak under the tax, even if they don't think they're going to be a real contender or close to a contender. They might just try to go ahead and find a way to get some talent on, and that might be worth paying the tax to keep the Jays happy longer term. But no matter what, they have a little bit more than six million dollars they need to get under, and they have some tools to do that, which we can talk more about later, but... Ultimately, it's just coming down to a decision on exactly what path you want to take with this team. like Get really bad and get some assets to get talent, trade for some talent, or go for it.
2: All right, awesome. Uh, thanks for that. that. Again, I think it's fun to, to think up mock trades or or what might be down the pipe, but a lot of it has to do with financials, which is heady and not that fun. So let's make this a little more navel-gazy. So, Rohan, what I'm going to do is let me tell you what the five options for how this Celtics season shakes out, how the team might approach dealing with any sort of woes they might be facing. And then I'll ask you, hey, what do you think? Good idea, bad idea, pitfalls, uh, opportunities. And then we'll breeze through these. We might spend a few minutes on one or a lot of minutes on many. So option one, they can stand pat. They can trust the system that they have. They can figure out the rotation internally. Option two is going to be that they make some moves around the margins, consolidate talent, kind of what I was talking about. Option three, and I guess we're just like turning up the heat as we go. They could use the TPE that they have, the $17 million one, use bets to get assets um, and play for the future. Another one is that they make a major move other than the Jays either blow it up in a win now move or blow it up with a win later move. And then finally, option five is really blow it up. Maybe Udoka's gone. Maybe Stevens is gone. Uh, maybe Jalen Brown is gone. So the nuclear option would be option five. So let's start, let's start mild and get extra spicy. Rohan, what does standing Pat look like for the Celtics?
3: I think a case could be made for standing Pat because you look through, uh, this is a very crude way to do it, but I mean, you look through their lineup stats. I mean, the most basic one, right? Tatum and Brown, I think they led a, a seven point, something net rating on the floor together in just two-man lineups. Uh, they have a, a five-man starting lineup that's played outstanding together, uh, which I believe is smart Brown, Tatum, Horford, and Williams has been great when they're on the floor. Uh, Schroeder, I think, was finding himself once Brown went out on that West Coast trip. I think even though the team struggled, he had some nice moments. I think standing pat looks like we have – at least eight players who can survive on the floor in a playoff series right now between the starting five plus Richardson, Williams, and Schroeder. And can we get – can we find one more on the team? Either they grow because we kind of throw them in the fire in the playoffs or until then uh, they can find their footing. But I think standing pat, I look at it like, okay, the Bulls have been great and I love the Bulls. They are not tested as a group together in the playoffs. The Celtics mm-hmm. team, for all its all the concern, mm-hmm. it, a playoff-tested group. Brown and have been multiple conference finals. Uh, same for Al Horford, uh, Marcus Smart. A, a group that's been through the fire together, and I, that's to me is going to be valuable. Um, you look elsewhere in the East. The Heat started off really hot, and now they have their own injury issues. Cleveland, same thing, young team. They're not playoff-tested together as a group. So I think standing pat for Boston, could they get to the second round? Sure. Could they get to the conference finals? It would be tough. We saw them <laughs> at the same time. I don't know that there is a a huge difference between Boston at their best and kind of the second tier in the East. And they, they've shown in the past they can have success against the Bucs. They can have success – against the Sixers. So to me, I, I don't think Stan pat is a crazy option, if only because you don't want to do something irrational or something with kind of unintended consequences. I, I know that Schroeder's name has popped up. If they do try to duck under the tax, he gets them really close. I understand it's it's tricky because we just talked about they can't keep losing players for nothing. But to me, he's someone who could be really valuable for them in a playoff series. So I'd, if the options are, I know we have four others, but if it was stand pat or get rid of someone like Schroeder to duck the, the tax, I'd rather they stand pat.
4: And to that end, you know, it is worth noting that the Celtics record against the top of the Eastern Conference is actually quite good. There's really only one team at the top of the East that has given the Celtics serious trouble this year. And that's Brooklyn, who has Kevin Durant, who has given the Celtics serious trouble for a decade. And there's not much that they can do about that. And I don't think any moves that they make in the near future are going to change that. Uh, sorry, Celtics fans. Kevin Durant is very, very good. But, you know, I mean, if you look at their record against Philly, they've beaten them once. They're going to play them again soon. But there's the, the record against the Bucs. They're 2-0 against the Bucs this year. Uh, they've split a series with Cleveland. They haven't beaten the Hawks yet. They haven't beaten the Bulls yet. But, you know, based on the way that both of those games went, the Celtics had a chance to beat both of those teams and just kind of blew it. Uh, The same can be said for the Wizards. You know, I think the Celtics, in terms of how they've actually fared in head-to-head matchups against some of the East's best teams, they've really done quite well. The issue is that they have choked away some winnable games and they have, also really struggled against the Western Conference.
5: They also did it during a period of time where they were really changing the identity or even really finding an identity of the team. They made some fairly significant changes, had a new coach, as we've said before, and had to really take on a defensive identity that really is dependent on a level of play that young players don't normally they're not necessarily always good at because it requires a level of dedication and focus that is typically more than they've been asked to do to that point, particularly when they've been surrounded by competent veterans and stars up to that point. So. I do see some value in that. If I were a better prepared podcaster, I would be able to tell you about the future concerns about standing pat and the tax and all that good stuff. But because, you know, Mike Zarin is a genius and I believe in Brad Stevens' ability to get us out of messes as he already did a fairly decent job with the Kimball Walker. I love you, Kimba, but still it was a mess of a situation. Uh, I think we can, you know, kick that can down the road for some future podcast.
2: Sure. So we admittedly planned this when (laughs) our moods were a little more sour. And so this does go from uh, not so bad to, again, kind of a nuclear option. I suppose we can also go on the flip side of the coin. And some of these are opportunities, not just desperate (laughs) attempts at changing things uh, from from an opportunity to to get better but as actually like go and compete or whatnot so anyways option two moves around the margin consolidate talent again is that a shuffling of the deck that is necessary or shuffling a deck that is an opportunity rohan what is kind of just changing things up in the back end of the rotation look like for the celtics
3: yeah that's an interesting one it just kind of depends who's out there you know uh are you are you shuffling the deck just to get like a bad young in or, or you know what's the role they, they want to fill or need to fill right now I actually again the the lineup data hasn't necessarily borne this out yet but I do think this is a team that in a playoff context has flexibility right you can play just one of Horford or Williams and surround them with kind of perimeter guys or you can kind of go more defense first with Jay Rich or more offense first with Schroeder. So I, I do think they have options. I, I'm less into just consolidating. I, I I'd have to know the names of who they would be consolidating that talent for before I'm I'm saying yeah just make a move because sure they could probably use maybe a a more table setting point guard, right? Maybe a more natural playmaker of that position at the same time. Those guys aren't aren't typically just available at the trade deadline. That's easier than done. So, to me, I'm I'm more they should stand pat, not to step on some of the future options that we're going to discuss. But (laughs) to me, for them, it's either stand pat or make a move that doesn't involve Jalen or Jason. And to go back to what we said earlier, that's really another place where missing on these picks hurts them right because if you could package marcus smart i'm not saying that the this is something that they've talked about or but in theory let's say Damian lillard did become available right Mm -hmm. and you could package smart rob williams and one or two of these guys that you drafted that are blue chip prospects that teams are interested in now you're also in the market to trade for a star to put around your two stars because teams around the league covet a Langford or a Neesmith, but that's another place where the drafting has really hurt them, where they're also a little bit hamstrung if they do want to make a move and try to go get a star, because I don't know that they have a lot of pieces that teams would be interested in outside of Jalen Brown.
2: Yeah, I w- I would think that if it was going to be that godfather, four picks and young talent offer that a player would kind of, tell their own team they want to go to Boston because it does to your point seem like right now a lot of other teams could beat Boston's godfather offer
5: yeah I'm not even certain that some of these draft picks are necessarily bad choices I think that we just haven't seen them developed at all they haven't got the playing time and to do what needs to be done with this team in the short term maybe maybe the plan is to use those veterans uh, in such such a way that they will then become more valuable and get assets. And then you develop those for a longer view thing. Maybe the second half of the season is going to be these younger players finally getting some run combined with some, not so great, but you know, some assets that then can be, hopefully package for something further down the line, which is not very exciting to, to think that we have a multi-year, really a rebuild going on here rather than a natural progression. But I, I suspect that there's a pretty good chance that that's what we're looking at.
2: So to that end, that's, that's kind of what option three looks like, right? Is that maybe you can flip Richardson or Schroeder to, to get back a, a young player, uh, uh, take a flyer on someone or even a draft pick. And then, you're building up Langford or Smith either as rotational pieces or as future trade chips for, I don't know, Carl Anthony e. towns or, or some big buck. So Rohan for option three, what would it mean for the Celtics if in another month and a half, they're at 500 and they do begin to punt on the season. What do you think that would mean for Adoka? What would that mean for Stevens? What would that mean for the Jays?
3: If they do, for some reason, really decide we're not going to give this season kind of a a true championship run or effort, which I can understand that happening. I don't think uh, anyone's jobs are going to be at stake. I mean, this is the first kind of go-around for both Stevens and Udoka at this. I think it would be kind of crazy to make a move there. I mean, Udoka is someone who's been talked about as a head coaching candidate for so long. I don't think you just want to give up on him Mm -hmm. after one season. I think that In that scenario, I think all that really happens is do they try to dump either Juancho, you mentioned Richardson, who's got one year on his deal after this one. Do they maybe try to move those guys and get a pick back, which to me would be mostly about ducking under the tax. So I think that's that kind of becomes their priority if in six weeks, eight weeks, whatever, close to the trade deadline, they're still kind of hovering around 500. They don't get any consistency, et cetera, because they also have a, a level of financial flexibility in the future that I think it's important for them not to jeopardize. Not that I think that, you know, this upcoming summer is going to be a big free agency one or they're all of a sudden going to be in the sweepstakes for some big star, but I think it's important to at least to maintain that flexibility and not kind of ruin it over a short-sighted move. So I, th- I think in the event that, they kind of aren't able to go on any sort of run here, or don't get a prolonged period of health with both Jason and Jalen. I mean, Jalen, from the moment the season started, it's been really unfortunate. Uh, you know, whether he was dealing with coming back from COVID, uh, then the hamstring issues. So I, I think that, to me, if for some reason they decide not to do anything and aren't that interested in making a big push this season, outside of ducking under the tax, I don't, th- I don't think they do anything irrational.
2: Yeah, and to that end, I think, unfortunately... So the Celtics have a couple more tough games up ahead, and then the load lightens up. But unless they break free and become the runaway three or four seed in the East, for example, I don't know that they're going to put their chips in. And again, if they're just in the middle of the pack, it might be the case that they kind of strip for assets. So I think that that's probably spot on, unfortunately. That's that's probably their most boring option, quite frankly. Uh, Okay, so let's say either the team isn't playing well or other teams are playing better or there is bad chemistry situation. What would trading Marcus Smart and Rob Williams look like? Do you think, Rohan, that that's an opportunity or an admission of some sort of defeat?
3: Rob Williams is interesting. I know uh, lots of Celtics fans are high on him. I think he's great. Sometimes I watch him and I he plays with an aggression that I I think more bigs in the league should play with. Uh, You know, that second Lakers game they ended up losing, but all those alley-oops he was catching, all those lobs that he was dunking in over Anthony Davis, he just has such a great bounce, uh, great defensive instincts. I and he's already signed long term. I mean, one thing I the question we kind of had about him going into the season is can he maintain his level of play with his role increased, with his minutes increased? I think he's thrived. I mentioned, I mean, he's part of the starting unit that's played great. So I think you could get back something really interesting if you're dangling. If you could put together a package that's Rob Williams, Marcus Smart. Uh, a couple first round picks i do think that that is an opportunity and their best chance at improving it's just a question of does the right star kind of shake free and do they want to play with jason and jalen that you're kind of willing to do it if bradley Beal comes out straight up and says i want to play in boston i mean i don't know if that's enough but it, it could it it could be good i mean they probably still need to add more pick swaps whatever i mean it's crazy to kind of get into those things, but I do think that it's not some kind of admission of something's not working. If the right player shakes free, then I think, you know, everything is on the table when it comes to guys like smart Williams, who I think are good and useful players who would be great on many teams that, that want to win. So it's not looking, if you want to, at the end of the day, if you want to get a good player back, you have to send some good players out, right? And that's what it comes down to with Smart and Williams.
2: So I'm going to pause there because, I, Alex, you can represent the emotional side of the Celtics fan base because I know you love Rob Williams and Smart. If Rohan is right, and I suspect very much so that he is, what what kind of player do you have a name in mind that it would take for you to feel emotionally comfortable with trading Smart or and Rob Williams in a package?
4: I mean – What's hard about this is not just the emotional impact. Obviously, I love Rob and Marcus, and I would hate to see either of them go out in a trade. But what's tough for me about the, it, this is not just the emotional impact. It's also the simple question of does trading both of those guys for the available star talent that is maybe out there, make this team better. Now, Mm -hmm. in the case of like a Damian Lillard, you probably have to do that, right? Because Damian Lillard is an established, true superstar. I know you don't like that, Cam. But, um, you know, Damian Lillard, if if you can get a a true third superstar to play with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you probably have to at least kick the tires on that. Um, in terms of, like, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, that would be the name for me that would really be challenging to turn that down. I don't think that Towns is particularly available, and I kind of feel like even if he were available, I'm not sure the Celtics would have the best package to get him. Um, I think trading Jalen Brown is I, – I have a long Twitter thread about this, but – Trading Jalen Brown is off the table. I just think that's a historically stupid idea, unless you're getting back a bona fide like top 12 guy. But if you're trading Marcus and Rob, it would probably have to be somebody who is around Carl Anthony Towns' quality of player, and it would also have to be somebody who fits with the roster. I don't like the idea of trading Marcus and Rob for a Bradley Beal or a Zach Levine to throw some names out who are going to be hitting free agency soon, in part because Levine and Beal play Jalen Brown's position. And I think both of them, you have questions about defense, you have questions about kind of how they would look as a third option, which they most likely would be in this situation. And, you know, the Celtics have struggled Uh, obviously they were, you know, better with uh, Kyrie Irving and better with a healthy Kemba Walker, but at times they struggled with, um, you know, kind of getting everybody the touches uh, that they needed to really maximize their effectiveness. The player that uh, this, and this player doesn't really exist, but I would be looking for somebody who can fill the kind of Gordon Hayward role of like a wing playmaker shooter who can also switch on defense. Um, Levine and Beal are kind of like that, but they're not quite there for me. Um, and so to, to that end, you know, there's a lot of guys who could shake loose and I think that's worth considering, but I'm just not sure that those guys would be really worth the cost of giving up both Rob and smart who are pretty critical parts of this team. As far as it functions now, maybe that changes, but unless towns is shaking loose, I kind of don't see it.
5: For me, I want to see a table setter, a real floor general, not a score first floor general, somebody to the tune of a DeJounte Murray. I know he's not available, but I've been lusting after him for quite some time I, I think that if you are going to pull a trigger uh, for such core players like that, that you really want to get someone back that really compliments the Jays and is young enough and affordable enough. I, I, my eyes lit up when you mentioned Lillard too. I know Cam mm. wants to say something about that, but he doesn't fit, you know, he's, he, you, you might get a title out of it. And that's probably worth doing because who knows what's going to shake loose in the future. I, I, I do feel you on that, but, to ideally you'd want a better fit if you're going to go all in. And I'm fully aware that I'm dancing on the edge of homerdom. I
3: I will just add that um, the Wolves have been playing way too well, I think, that they'll ever put Towns on anything remotely resembling the trade block. I also do not want to throw rain on this parade, but if Towns somehow became available in a trade, the Celtics are not getting him for anything less than a package centered around Jalen Brown. I, I, I understand right. yeah, I understand that um BO may seem like something of a consolation prize or maybe not kind of that top-tier superstar, but I also think that uh, given the the trajectory of kind of superstar trades, like giving up smart and Williams for him, while admittedly painful, I think there's something to be said about loving the players on your team and just wanting to see them succeed together, not wanting them to make a trade. But if you are desperate for an upgrade, I think that realistically some kind of smart Williams picks package for Beal, that's the price it's going to take to get a guy like that. Now, obviously there are going to be different opinions on what Beal can do and how good of a player he is, et cetera. But in terms of just kind of the market value and how the league works, like, that to me is the most kind of realistic trade framework of any of the names being talked about right now.
2: Especially if it is true that a player would kind of need to agitate to get to Boston because deal, his relationship with Tatum kind of changes things. I don't think like, yeah, James Harden didn't sign his extension, but it's not so that he (laughs) can ship up to Boston. All right, let's talk about option five. Uh, And we've covered it enough. We don't, we don't need to dwell on this too long, but a according to some reporting out there, I'm not going to name names. Some folks think that the possibility of Jalen Brown uh, leaving Boston could happen sooner rather than later. And unlike trading Marcus smart and Rob Williams for whichever better player, probably trading Jalen Brown is, is truly a a pivot, not necessarily an opportunity because I don't know that cat wants to come to Boston. I don't know that there is that, Anthony Davis kind of player that Boston has angled for in the past. So Rohan, I mean, uh, hopefully you have a better head on your shoulders than we do. What do you think of the Jalen Brown kind of buzz that has been floating around? And I mean, I always go to Mac and Vince Carter when I think of Jalen and Jason, and that didn't end in a title. So kind of where are your thoughts with what could happen with the Jays and Boston in the next, I don't know, 18 months
3: it's never made sense to me that Jalen Brown has popped up any trade rumors to me it's always felt like wishful thinking other teams hoping that they can pry him loose somehow for for me if I were the Celtics it would be a non-starter I think you just the nature of the NBA in the 21st century is those are the players every team is desperately looking for uh, teams are looking they, there's a reason why mikhail bridges uh, who I think is an outstanding player gets paid ninety million dollars. It's because he deserves it, and that skill set is so important. And the drop off from someone like a Jalen Brown to your league average three and D player is huge in the playoffs. And to me, if I were Brad Stevens, like a Jalen Brown trade is a non-starter unless I'm getting a top eleven or twelve player in the NBA and I'm centering a package around that, and I feel like this player can take me to the next level. So, I don't understand why that's a thing that pops up. Again, unless there is something going on behind the scenes that either has not been reported or, or maybe we're not really privy to, it just doesn't make sense to me that they're both so young. Uh, has Tatum even technically started his, uh, his extension yet? Um, is this the first year of it? I mean...
2: First just, year of it, I think.
3: Yes, they're just both so early um, in their careers that I, I think that it's way too soon to kind of pull the plug when the the best teams you put around them for different reasons, you kind of got snake-bitten. I, I think you owe it to yourselves to kind of give it another proper go with those two guys uh, as your lead players and, and see what you can add around them before you, you – again, I mean, unless somehow – I you mean, know, I could go to our SI top 100 list, but unless somehow Damian Lillard shakes free or I, I don't know, but that, to me, you're only looking at trading Jalen Brown as for a limited scope of players.
2: Now, I, again, that, that's why we kind of led with what is leading this this buzz more than let's pick it apart, because I don't think that we think, in Boston anyways, that there's that much merit to it, least of which – Tatum was playing with an inhaler last year. Jalen broke his wrist and then he had COVID. So we we just don't have data on really what that pair can be in their mid twenties. We have data on what they can be in their early twenties, but that's, that's a different beast entirely. All right. We'll, we have a few more things, but we've also taken a lot of your time. So we'll do them very, very quickly. We have three quick moves for you to analyze that peeling back all of the options from mild to nuclear. We have decided that probably something in the margins is most likely. So we're going to, Rohan, quickly go through and give us your gut reaction. Good trade, bad trade, outrageous trade, best trade, whatever adjective comes to mind. Justin, you're up first.
5: So For me, what I was trying to do here was a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B in terms of Stan pep, also making moves around the margins try to design something where they can get back a player worth keeping who will help them this season in the postseason, but will also be able to get them under the tax. So that's a tricky thing to do, and I don't think they could do a much more interesting job than I did, but I went for the lowest of low-hanging fruit and flipped uh, Enos Freedom and uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, along with two second-round picks for Daniel Tice to Houston, because, I mean, he may not know all the players who are on the roster now, he may not know the coach, but he's played with enough of them uh, and ser- works at a position of need and defends a little bit better than Enos, Uh, That I think that that would actually be a really positive move that would still accomplish the goals of staying out of Texas season.
3: I like that trade. I was kind of surprised Boston uh, gave up on Tice when they did. I, I was a little bit surprised by that. That was a kind of a real defeatist move when they shipped him off so I like that one I'm with you I think that in the in the right playoff series you can have his moments and and be effective I mean you could do a lot worse than than him as a, as a backup big as a third third kind of big in a rotation with Warford and Williams so I like that one
4: thanks Alex you're up Sure. So I got a little bit more ambitious. Um, I was thinking, you know, I, I, I frankly skirted the tax concerns, um, and I did so because I was kind of reading Twitter today and seeing some trade rumors fly around. And I know that we talked about how trade rumors are not super reliable, but there was one that kind of jumped out to me as pretty intriguing. Um, when I do trade machine stuff, I try my best to think about what the other team needs uh, before I kind of pull the trigger on stuff. So I was thinking about um, knowing that the Celtics probably can't pay Dennis Schroeder this off season uh, and as good as he has been off the bench, there is some logic to the idea of trying to ship him off at the peak of his value, uh, and looking at who needs a backup point guard, like a quality backup point guard, and then looking at some other teams that were floating around, I came up with the following. It's a little ambitious and probably won't happen, but the Celtics get back. Trey Burke and Willie Collie stein along with Buddy Heald, who just popped up in a trade rumor earlier today, uh, they ship out to the Dallas Mavericks and his freedom, Dennis Schroeder, And then the Mavericks also receive from the Sacramento Kings, Marvin Bagley, who has been largely shut out of the Kings rotation. And I I do think it would be funny to see Luca and Bagley on the same team, just as an aside, see see what's going on there. Uh, But then uh, the Kings for their trouble receive Juancho Hernan Gomez. Uh, Aaron Niesmith would be the centerpiece of this trade for the Celtics, along with a 2023 protected first round pick. Uh, and then Josh Green, who has been kind of buried in the Mavericks rotation, but still offers some potential as a young uh, 6'5 shooting guard who can hit outside shots, is pretty long, just hasn't really had an opportunity to get playing time there. So the Celtics get some veteran help in the form of Heald uh, and a worse ba- a downgrade at backup point guard, but a significant upgrade in terms of their shooting. Uh, the Mavericks get a backup point guard that can take Luca's, uh playmaking duties away for a little bit and give him a breather, and the Kings get a pile of okay flyer young assets as well as a pick for their troubles.
3: Yeah, I love the ambition, but this is, I think this is where, again, Smith not really having kind of a sustained stretch hurts the Celtics, because I just think the Kings are probably the one team in this construction that is feeling like they can do a little bit better here i you know they were looking at trading healed for you know kuzma and i believe harold at at the start of uh, the season and your mileage may vary on kuzma but i mean he's proven that he can be a rotation player for a championship team right willing to adjust his role etc harold's a former Sixth man of the year so i just think that the kings are probably looking at that trade like we can do a little bit better we can get kind of uh especially if they're throwing in Bagley too, who I think still has some fans around the league. I feel like they're probably thinking we could do a little bit better here. We get some more solid rotation pieces back.
2: I probably agree, but I do love that Alex is thinking about Buddy Heald because I find myself thinking about Buddy Heald.
3: Yes, and I love a three-team trade. So there's a lot to like there. But uh, yeah, I just think the Kings are probably the one team in that configuration that are like, whoa,
2: whoa, whoa. All right, I'm not going to lead the witness on mine. I'm just going to tell you the framework of the trade. You can Mm -hmm. tell me if it's garbage or not. Schroeder, Pritchard, and Juancho Gomez go to Portland, Larry Nance Jr., Jr., and Cody Zeller back to Boston.
3: Oh, that's an interesting one. I love Larry Nance Jr. I think it's a little bit of a stretch that Portland gives up on Nance. Because they are also not gonna be able to sign Schroeder past this season and they just signed Nance. But that's an interesting one. Schroeder, Pritchard, and Wancho. Yeah, I just don't see it for Portland, but it I'll be and that's interesting. I, I haven't seen Nance's name kind of float around anywhere. I think a lot of people expect him, especially if they move on from Nurkic, to have a big role there. But I wonder if some teams would go sniffing around Nance, seeing what the Blazers end up doing, but That's an interesting one. I'm going to be thinking about that one for a little while.
2: I will say, and we're going to talk about Schroeder now, because this is not Blazer's wire. um, But I do wonder that if CJ McCollum leaves, if there's a lot of action going on with Portland. So that was a little bit of my thinking. But again, Mm -hmm. uh, there are other podcasts for that conversation. So Justin, (laughs) talk us through what's going on with Schroeder. He also popped up in the news recently and maybe his time with Boston is limited. I
5: mean, it's almost certainly limited just because he signed on the mini mid-level exception, which is under $6 million. Uh, It is conveniently close to where Boston is in terms of the tax. They also have Jabari Parker on the roster who is only guaranteed if you basically, if they waive him before mid-January, they will say $1.1 million on their tax bill. So the combined two, or combining him with Juancho would get you across the finish line. You can maybe throw a Bruno uh, Fernando into a deal, maybe to kind of grease the wheels or even Ennis if, if somebody convinces themselves that they really do need another big like him. I wouldn't be that team, but that's a different story. And now with all this said about the, the, uh, the tax situation and standing pat and all the stuff we've been discussing There's really three ways that we can go. We've kind of touched on these a little bit. They could, we could package it and try to land a high impact player or star. Uh, Something that I came up with for that was um, another star or not really star, but potential future star was in the news today, Cam Reddish. Uh, If you maybe wanted to go after him, And you didn't really care about the tax because you really want to try to find a way to, to get him And Atlanta. The logic here would be, would want to, you know, not find itself out of the playoffs immediately after taking that step forward. So maybe they might be motivated to take a chance on just, you know, having him come back to Atlanta and just to see what happens. So like Reddish, Ding, and Luago Cabrera for Enos Langford and Schroeder, plus a first round pick and some seconds to kind of, kind of grease it. Uh, then there could be, you know, trading for a cheap rotation player, uh, maybe send Schroeder and Hunter to Dallas for trade Burke, as you were kind of suggesting, in a bigger framework. Then Dallas sends Moses Brown just to make the salary work to Oklahoma City. Or a third scenario where we're just basically making the space so we save the tax. It's kind of depressing. We're probably going to get back like a fake second or something like that. Um, Schroeder uh, to the, the Knicks or Phoenix or Memphis or Dallas or or any of the teams out there that have some space. Uh, but I wanted to actually have Rohan talk just a second on what he actually envisioned uh, Schroeder's value being because it was considerably more optimistic than me, which was kind of that third option. I kind of think that there's a very good chance we could see there just because when teams see the Celtics and are able to put them over a barrel, uh, they seem to really enjoy doing it. So it wouldn't surprise me if we end up there. But Rohan, what do you think?
3: Yeah the Schroeder piece is interesting because I think he has a lot of value to every team that would acquire him but his contract situation is such a uh, an issue because it's great for this season it's terrible for the future right you you don't want to give up anything for him long term because you can't really keep him unless somehow his market is once again very depressed next summer which is not impossible considering kind of the lack of cap space around the league. So uh, that's a a roundabout way of me saying the Schroeder things are going to be really hard to predict. Uh, If I had to guess, I think that he gets traded for a little bit less than he's worth just because every team is going to hedge against the fact that the better he plays, the worse chance we have of actually signing him beyond this season. So, And especially if it ends up being that the Celtics are looking to get out from under the tax, et cetera, teams are going to recognize that as well. So if I had to guess, I, I, I do think he's the kind of, he's one of those deadline vets that gets moved for, he's not, it's not quite PJ Tucker last year, but it's, it's closer to that than kind of a big move where the return is a little bit underwhelming just because of the contract situation.
2: All right, well, Rohan, we took way too much of time anyways, and we all need to go get ready to watch Steph Curry break the three-point record. So uh, Rohan and Ned Carney, you write for Sports Illustrated, and we can't thank you enough for coming on.
3: Thank you guys so much for having me. I had a great time.
2: Yeah. uh, Appreciate it very, very much. Thanks,
1: Rohan. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices,